Welcome to Flip the Script Podcast. I still could not believe what I was hearing. Families with withered faces and cowering bodies lumbered along the dusty streets and stuffed themselves into the backs of tiny trucks, fleeing the edges of the city to take shelter in the heart of Mazar. Shops shuttered and equipment languished in abandonment beneath the scorching sun. I texted several Afghan government officials and military personnel I had been in contact with throughout the rapid crumbling of the country. Every single one promised me that the city itself would hold for at least a few more days, if not weeks, if not forever. Perhaps we all wanted to believe that Mazar, a long-time bulwark of the Taliban resistance and the first place liberated by their rule in late 2001, would never fall to the hands of insurgents. As the next few hours stretched on, and the heat gave way to a rare breeze, and the sun started to sink slowly, I could not shake the sense of unease prickling my entire body. My photographer and I watched through the dark and barren streets of our favorite little kebab cafe, tucked down a dozen crooked steps beneath the spice store that had abruptly closed. It was not the noise that put me on edge, it was the lack of it. There were no aircraft roaring through the skies, no heavy weaponry, and bang-bangs despite rumors of the Taliban were at the gates. So was anyone out there propelling the fighters back? My heart was pounding. A sensation of nausea flooded over me. Let's go, Jake said. It's just that spidey sense. We hurried along the cracked pavements toward our guest house. Pavements that most nights bustled with cars as I turned for one last preview of the streets. A few motorcycles ripped through. They looked different, felt different, as though they were far from home. Gunshots crackled through the starless night. Unfortunately, my Afghan friend told me over the phone as I moved away from the glass windows for precaution. Mazar has just fallen. And that was a excerpt from an article written by Holly McKay, titled, I'm one of the female reporters still in Afghanistan. The country I loved no longer exists. And Holly McKay is no stranger to the Middle East. She wrote a book titled Only Cry for the Living. She started her journey around the Middle East in 2014 and basically covered everything to do with ISIS. She was running around the Middle East covering the whole Iraq-Syria-ISIS war. I highly recommend getting her book, Only Cry for the Living. She's in Afghanistan right now, and she was there for the fall of Afghanistan and the Taliban takeover as far as I'm aware right now, she is still there. I've been following her. I believe that she is getting an interview with Taliban. So I'll be looking for that. This article is in The Independent. If you want to check this article out, I only read a small section of it. It's pretty intense. All right. So today we're talking about the future of Afghanistan and what is going to happen to Afghanistan under Taliban rule. All right, so things are pretty dicey, okay? There's a lot going on. We have troops in Afghanistan right now, according to the BBC. The Pentagon says there's about 5,200 troops there. They're trying to get all the Americans out. Now, an interesting thing that just doesn't make any sense is that prior to the withdrawal of the troops from Afghanistan, our State Department had dismantled protections for citizens trapped overseas. And this was a memo 
that was retrieved by Fox News. And it says that the Biden administration moved in June to dismantle a system designed to protect American citizens trapped abroad. Just months before the Taliban took over Afghanistan, stranding thousands of Americans in the Central Asian country. Fox News obtained the June 11th memo sent around the State Department, which gave a green light on the discontinuation of the establishment and the termination of the Contingency and Crisis Response Bureau. The sensitive but unclassified memo was signed by Deputy Secretary of State just a couple of months before the Biden administration botched troop withdrawal from Afghanistan and the fall Taliban control. The CCR was formed under the Trump era Secretary of State Mike Pompeo and was tasked with providing aviation, logistics, and medical support capabilities for the Department of Operational Bureaus, thereby enhancing the Secretary's ability to protect American citizens overseas in connection with overseas evacuations in the aftermath of natural or man-made disaster. So this is just mind-boggling. I understand that the Biden administration wants to undo everything that the Trump administration did, but this policy seems like a very good policy, that you would have a contingency plan to put in place to rescue Americans, American citizens who were trapped overseas during either a natural or man-made disaster, okay? So the fall of Afghanistan is a man-made disaster. But even still, let's say you're abroad, you're over in Italy, you're over in somewhere in Europe, Asia, wherever you are, there's an earthquake, there's a tsunami, there's something that happens. The State Department had a plan to rescue you and get you out of that situation in the event of some type of disaster. But then in June, the Biden administration dismantled these protections for citizens trapped overseas. Makes absolutely zero sense. So now, fast forward now to August, we have this withdrawal where we got our military troops out of Afghanistan, left our equipment, and left American citizens behind. So now this policy that was in place prior to June would have been really helpful to get American citizens out. But Afghanistan falls to control of the Taliban, and now they have to send back 5,200 troops to get the American citizens out. Now, the problem is, is that we lost control of the airport there, and it was under Taliban control, and then the State Department said that they were basically relying on the Taliban to allow for safe passage to get out of that country. That's, that's not good. All right, so now this is a uh, quote from, well, I'll just read it. So. Living under the rule of the Taliban regime is like being in an abusive relationship. At first, it's good. They make a lot of promises. They watch their steps. They even deliver on some of their promises. But while you are being lulled into the false sense of security, they are making their plans. These are the words of Friba, which is not her real name, who was 10 when her father disappeared during the Taliban rule in 1999. Now grown up living in London, she described how life under the Taliban went from a living hell to a black hole of hopelessness. She says that she is afraid for her family, friends, and the millions of other people who are still in Afghanistan as the Taliban again takes power. So listen, this is a serious situation here for the Taliban to have taken over the whole country of Afghanistan. Now, especially if you are... A religious minority in Afghanistan, if you were a Christian, if you're a Jew, 
if you just don't have any religion, you're in big trouble in Afghanistan because they are extremists. They are, their whole thing is they want to wage jihad. And that means that anybody who is not in their line of thinking is an enemy to them. And then they feel that it's their duty, their religious duty is to kill those and rid the world of those types of people. If you helped us in the Afghan war, if you're an interpreter, you gave intel, anything that you did to help the United States, and you're still in Afghanistan, there is a price for your head. I don't know why we would do this exit strategy and leave people behind, especially those who helped us that are going to be murdered. A lot of special forces guys that I'm following are saying that a lot of their interpreters that they were just there with at their last deployment have now been killed. You know, that's think about that type of pain that these guys are going through, these Afghanistan veterans who for years, deployment after deployment from 2001 up until now have been going to Afghanistan and trying to make the Afghan people's lives better by trying to pin down and push back the Taliban, building schools, doing all those things now for it to be erased. Now, a lot of veterans, a lot of Afghanistan veterans are having a hard time with this. Uh, They are not dealing with what has happened well. So if you know anybody who is a veteran of Afghanistan, reach out to them, make sure that they're okay. You know, be there if they need to talk because this is just beyond comprehension, right? So apparently the military, our generals, apparently they're all taken off guard by this. They did not think that the Afghan military would fall that quickly. I think the exact days were 11 days, right? I don't know how they could not know that when any any boot private in the military who has been to Afghanistan will tell you that they are not ready to take over. They're just not. Now, listen, like, I don't know why they're not. I don't know whose fault it is. We've been training their military for 20 years. I've said this in my last podcast. Theoretically, if you have the best military in the world training your army for 20 years, then they should be second best. For some reason, they're not. We could go on a whole bunch of theories about why that is, right? But I think what it has to do with is it is just hard to... They have a different type of culture in Afghanistan. They are not united around patriotism. They have a lot of different tribes in Afghanistan, and their allegiance is more to the tribe than it is to their national identity. You know, in a lot of places in Afghanistan, they don't really even recognize themselves as being a part of the country of Afghanistan. They're just in Afghanistan, but their tribe is their community, right? So it's hard to get them to unite around, you know, one country uh, patriotism when there's so many different tribes and different sex in Afghanistan that they just, it's it's different over there for them. Now, listen, man, I've talked to a lot of Afghan veterans and bad guys fall through the t- cracks, right? Uh, Taliban infiltrate the Afghan military and they do attack our soldiers, our Marines, our sailors. So you have to do a good job at vetting and people fall through the cracks sometimes, right? So now when you have this happen, you know, when you have the Taliban that close to your military and, you know, what they do is they start extorting people, right? And they say, listen, 
I know you. I know your family. You continue helping with these Americans. You don't tell us what's going on. You don't inform us. Your whole family will be murdered in front of you. This is what they do. This is for real. This is not a joke. This is what happens. Okay. This is how they extort people. All right. So, you know, put yourself in an Afghani's situation. He joins the Afghan military. He needs a job. He needs some money. You know, he figures he's going to go try to secure his country and try to do the right thing. And then there's a guy that he's fighting with or that he's training with who is actually a Taliban. And he comes to him and says, listen, I know you. I know your family now. And if you don't do what we tell you, you don't give us the information that we want from you, uh, your family will be murdered. And you will be murdered after watching all of them. Okay, so you put yourself in that situation. What would you do? I'm serious. What would you do? We all want to sit here and we all want to say that we would be virtuous and that we would do the right thing under all circumstances. But think about it. Would you really? When your family is in jeopardy, when your family is being threatened, a credible threat, okay? I mean, I've been threatened so many times, but they're not credible. I don't take those threats seriously. But the Taliban, they do what they say they're going to do. They follow through. They don't make idle threats. They make promises. If the Taliban says we're going to kill you and kill your family, they will if you don't do what they say. Because that's how they gain control. It's through fear. It's not because of the things that they do. It's not because they're so much smarter or they have better resources or because they are do anything good. It's because of fear. Because people, it's the same reason why the drug cartels gain control. It's because of fear, because they're so murderous and torturous in what they do, that if you oppose them, your family will be murdered. And you know that because you've seen what happens to people who have opposed them. All right, so back to our military generals and the State Department. This is a piece from The Hill. This is Afghanistan disaster puts intelligence under scrutiny. All right, so... Let's see here. It says, the unfolding disaster in Afghanistan has put a spotlight on the intelligence community's role in the largest foreign policy crisis of Joe Biden's presidency. Afghanistan unraveled much more quickly than intelligence suggested, something President Biden himself acknowledged this week. Joint Chiefs of Staff Chair General Mark Milley on Wednesday said officials underestimated the pace at which the Taliban insurgents would overrun the Afghan government an extraordinary mission likely to put more scrutiny on intelligence assessments. There was nothing that I or anyone else saw that indicated a collapse of the army and the government in 11 days, Milley told reporters during a Pentagon briefing. All right, so let's pay attention to what he said here. He said that there was nothing that he or anyone else saw that indicated the Afghan government would collapse in 11 days. Now, he's playing words politics here because what he isn't saying is that he didn't know that the Afghan government would fall to Taliban control. He's saying he just didn't know it was going to happen in 11 days. Milley said that intelligence showed multiple scenarios were possible, including a rapid Taliban takeover over the course of weeks or months or years. Okay, so now it's playing words semantics here. He didn't know it was going to happen in 11 days, but he knew that it could happen in weeks, could happen in months, could happen in years. Okay, but any boot private on the ground in Afghanistan will tell you that it's going to take days. But for some reason, now listen, either General Milley is lying or he is just really that incompetent 
or the people around him giving information are either lying or really incompetent. And I don't think that these are incompetent people. So I think that they're to be a general, you have to be pretty competent. To be an intelligence official, you have to be pretty competent. So I think they're they're lying. Okay, let's see what uh, Senator Bob Menendez from New Jersey says. This is the leader of the State Foreign Relations Committee described the developments as horrifying result of many years of policy and intelligence failures and announcing a hearing. Okay, so he just wants to pass the buck here, and now he's blaming the intelligence officials, right? The guys that are on the ground over there working covert ops, our spies, our informants over there that are putting their lives in danger every single day. Senator Menendez is blaming them for intelligence failures. I don't tend to believe that that is the truth. I believe that what it is is politicians not believing or not accepting the real intelligence that is given to them for politic reasons. I've seen that happen so many times. Is that They would get intel on a certain thing, but it was not in line with their political views, and they did not act on it. You could research that. It has happened, happened on the Obama administration. Um, so I don't believe that for one instance. All right. The Pentagon, more than 5,000 200 troops in Kabul. We've been following today's daily briefing at the Pentagon. More than 5,200 troops are on the ground in Kabul. The Pentagon says roughly 7,000 people have been evacuated by the U.S. military since the 14th of August. 7,000 people have been evacuated. The Pentagon spokesman John Kirby is asked about the 31 August deadline meant to mark the final exit of U.S. troops. There has been no decision to change the deadline, and we are focused on doing everything we can inside the deadline to move as many people out as possible, Kirby says. All right, so the problem here is that you brought our troops out, you left all of our equipment, and as we just read from General Mark Milley, they knew that Afghanistan government would fall at some point, it was just a matter of when. They knew that we didn't fall into Taliban hands. So we left Blackhawks, we left aviation, we left secret and top secret equipment in Afghanistan when they knew that at one point the Taliban is going to take control over the Afghanistan government. That does not make any sense. If you know that the Afghani government is going to fall to Taliban control at some point, whether it's days, weeks, months, or a year from now. If you know this, you don't leave top secret military equipment behind. You know what would happen if a private, private first class, or any enlisted military personnel was to lose a piece of top secret or even secret equipment? they would be done. They will be in Fort Leavenworth for a long time. But our top generals could leave top secret, secret equipment in a whole country for a terrorist organization to get a hold of. People really need to resign over this. There needs to be resignations. There needs to be firings over this whole debacle of an operation. This whole withdrawal has been a complete embarrassment. Okay, so now Taliban is in control of our Blackhawks, top secret equipment, What do you think they're going to do with that? What do we think that they're going to do with our equipment? I'll tell you what they're going to do. They're either going to use it against us or they're going to sell it to our enemies. I bet you China is approaching the Taliban as we speak right now, trying to get their hands on our equipment 
so that they can reverse engineer it, make it themselves, use it against us. Russia will do the same thing. This is a really bad situation. Like this is like worst case possible scenario. All right. So President Biden had said that he had no concerns on whether the Taliban would be able to uh, take over the country of Afghanistan because the Afghan army was 300,000 strong and the Taliban is only about 70,000, 70,000 of them. So this is a piece from the BBC also under reality check. And it says, is Biden right to say the Afghan army was strong? Speaking to ABC News, President Biden said, we trained and equipped an Afghan military force of some 300,000 strong. This figure is contested and considered by many experts to be a significant overestimate. The U.S. watchdog set up to monitor the situation in Afghanistan provides the basis for the president's figure, but is misleading to use it out of context. The U.S. Special Inspector General for Afghanistan Reconstruction gives an overall figure for Afghan security forces of April of 300,699. However, this figure combines both Army Air Force personnel, 182,071, and the police force of 118,628, who are not deployed as part of the country's military. Ah, The SIGUR report also notes that these figures include ghost security personnel. This it's, means that more than 300 million a year was spent paying salaries to non-existent personnel of the Afghan security forces. A recent investigation by BBC News, Newsnight indicates that the size of the army could have been as low as 50,000, much lower than even the cigar estimates. Wow. Wow. Oh, that is why this, this is so frustrating. I don't understand what is wrong with these people that are running our country. This is nothing to do with politics, okay? Obviously, my politics, I don't agree with this current administration. But this, seriously, even if you do agree with them, what is happening and the way that this is happening, you cannot say that this is a good strategy, that this even makes sense. None of this makes sense. So now I have a saying, I've I've always said, if something doesn't make sense, there's usually a reason for it. And it's not a good one. All right. Let's see. Is there anything else? The Taliban say that they're keeping their word by supporting evacuation. All right. The Taliban are keeping their word by supporting foreign forces to evacuate their nationals from Kabul's airport. The official from the group has told Reuters news agency they are facilitating safe exit passage, not just for foreigners, but also Afghans, they said. They are preventing any form of violent verbal clash at the airport among Afghan foreigners and Taliban members. The official said, however, there have been reports that the Taliban are not letting people access Kabul's airport, even if they have travel visas. A confidential UN document seen by the BBC said that militants were intensifying their hunt for people who worked for and collaborated with NATO and U.S. forces. So this is a typical thing that the Taliban does or any messed up organization will do. They will come out to the media and say that they're doing this, right? So that the media reports on it and then it sheds a good light on them. Oh, no, we're letting people go to the airport. We're letting Afghans leave too. We're letting all that while they're not actually doing that, right? So I wouldn't trust anything that the the Taliban says. Playing with Afghans arrives in the UK. U.S. Ministry of Defense has shared video footage of the civilian charter flight from Kabul arriving in the UK. This plane carrying Afghans and British nationals who were based in Afghanistan 
landed in the Midlands on Wednesday. The UK has confirmed to take in up to 20,000 Afghan refugees over the next few years under a new resettlement scheme, including 5,000 this year. About 2,000 Afghan former staff and their families have already come to the UK under a separate Afghan relocations of the assistance policy, according to the home office of the target of 5,000 by the end of 2001. Okay, so on the when it comes to refugees, I fully support in taking Afghans who have helped us in the war in Afghanistan. If they were interpreters, they were giving us intel. Uh, if they helped us in any capacity to fight the Taliban, I believe those people should be brought to either the United States or one of our allies, whoever, wherever they want to go. I don't agree with just taking anybody. And it doesn't mean that you might not be a good person or it doesn't mean that you might not be able to do something for the country, but it's, it doesn't mean that you might not be scared, don't want to live under a Taliban rule, and that's understandable. But I don't think that you, the priority has to be given to those who helped us. That's just a fact. There's no reason why somebody who didn't help us should get moved up the line or be considered a refugee over somebody who has. Okay, so we have to identify all those people who did help us and get them securely out of Afghanistan to either our country or one of our allies. And then we could start working on other refugees who want to leave Afghanistan because they're being oppressed under Taliban rule. I will fully support that as long as we get those who helped us out first. They should have priority. All right, so that's it for Flip the Script on the fall of Afghanistan for today. I'm going to keep a close eye on this, and we will see what happens. Um, As I mentioned before, check out Only Cry for the Living by Holly McKay. Check out her article in The Independent. And I think think my next podcast, I think I'm going to read some parts of her book. I have her book right here, Uh, Only Cry for the Living. I think I'm going to read some parts of this on my next podcast that I'm going to do in a couple days. And um, just give you guys a, a sense of what was going on in this Syria Iraq, ISIS, war. She was there covering it the whole time. Um, some crazy stories are in that. So be on the lookout for that one. All right, this is Flip the Script Out. Hey, if you found this interesting, you like what I'm doing, hit the subscribe button, hit the share button, let all your friends know about it. And this is Flip the Script Podcast out. I'll see you next time.